Hello and welcome to another episode of the Formation Podcast. This is episode number 29 and since we last recorded in the UK there's been a, another step towards normality. Um, if you live in the UK you've probably seen this from the start of this week. Um, ev everything was, no not everything, why am I saying everything was opened up again but you were able to go and meet, meet friends in the park so it's a, it's a bit more freedom for people. Um, this has prompted me to uh, have a shave, which some viewers have told me has been long overdue. So if you, if you watch these podcasts and you can see now, um, I'm clean shaven. The haircut is still to come on April the 12th, but um, you know we've still got a couple of weeks for that. Anyway, um, the international break is almost over, but there has been some interesting stories that have taken place over this international break, which we want to explore this week. But of course, in a few days time, club football will return. Devon, are you excited for this for you know proper weekends again with football on a Saturday and obviously this upcoming weekend as well as a special one with the EFL having two games I really can't comprehend my thoughts after that intro what what was that George um yeah having proper football back is, is much better um except if you're a Wednesday fan with the prospect of I think Watford and QPR on the horizon so the first one's going to be challenging but uh Proper football is back. Harry, would you agree with that? That um, you know the, the internationals. We watched one of the England games last week, and it it wasn't too bad. But there's nothing like the club game, is there? Almost certainly. I used to really not like international breaks for about two years, when like no Southampton players got called up anywhere. But now you know they do get called up every now and again, and the big man Wal Prowse did score, even though it was against San Marino. So I don't mind that. I don't mind them sometimes, but club football is better than any any other sort of football. So say that I'm looking forward to Southampton versus Burnley, maybe overstretching the mark slightly, but it's good to have club football back. Absolutely. And before we move on, um, just something I wanted to address as well is that you might notice, particularly if you're um, just listening to this podcast on Spotify or Google Podcasts or anything else, that um, one person has upgraded their microphone and they might be sounding especially crisp this week. And that is Sam Allen. Sam, how excited are you to give it a try for the first time? Yes. Hello, George. <laughs> now, I thought I'd make a small investment for the for the podcast to try and get my audio levels a bit better they're obviously not great when you're using the built-in laptop microphone so hopefully it sounds a bit better for you guys but I'm still using a you know a pretty bad webcam off my laptop but you know small little change yeah and I think we should encourage any listeners as well who who are um, listening to the whole episode maybe if you notice a significant improvement in Sam's audio, then do let us know because that could be something which we could all look at and overall that could then improve the whole quality of it. So that is something which we'll be interested to know. So don't hesitate to let us know in the comments if that is something that you notice. Anyway, um, I've rambled on about rubbish, about me getting rid of a load of bum fluff and everything else, but on with the episode. Um, De Devon's cringing at everything I'm saying, but I'm, I'm quite enjoying it, to be honest. Um, the first thing we want to discuss is something which was announced earlier this week um, by Manchester City, and it was fairly substantial news too. Um, they have confirmed that Sergio Aguero, who's been at the club for 10 years, will leave the club 
at the end of this season when his contract comes to an end. They're not going to renew it. Um, he's made 384 appearances for Manchester City and has scored 257 goals. And as you know, that there is a plethora of memorable moments that have involved Aguero. Um, I, I'm not going to reel them off. I'm sure some of you guys might want to reel them off. But um, Sam, you could surely make an argument that Aguero is Man City's greatest ever player, or at least is one of their greatest ever players. Oh, yeah, for definite. I mean, he's the highest ever goal scorer now, and he's been a, a huge part of this, well, this this era for Manchester City where they've become one of the top teams in England, one of the top teams in Europe. He's been one of the players leading that alongside the likes of you know David Silva and Vincent Company, obviously, who he's going to be honoured with a statue with. So yeah, he's been a been a huge part of the Premier League. This sort of this sort of modern era of the Premier League, one of the best strikers we've ever seen, producing some of the greatest moments. Obviously, that that last minute goal against QPR, we'll never see anything like that ever again. As as Martin Tyler said, <laughs> but, <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. That just that just happened. <laughs> yeah, so you know, he's one of the one of the greatest players I've ever seen for sure. Harry, do you echo that praise? I think. A stat came out yesterday saying out of all the teams Aguero has played against, um, he only failed to score against one of them. That was Bolton. But I think on the whole, that stat kind of shows just the impact that he has had over the 10-year period. Oh, he's been a prolific striker for them. And he's, he's really set the benchmark for whoever's going to come in. Like you said, multiple Premier League titles, that iconic moment that will go down in Premier It'll be remembered in 100 years' time because, like Sam says, nothing will ever eclipse that last-minute moment of winning the Premier League after being 2-1 down with five minutes to go. So it's that. That's the, that's the main thing. And I think it's going to be really, really difficult to get another player of that level no matter who's out there, and try to achieve the same things that he's done. Yeah, um, so far, Aguero has won four Premier League titles, um, one FA Cup and five League Cups. Um, I haven't actually got the stat written down for the number of community shields um, <laughs> that he's won, because to be honest, I don't sure care about relevant. those. Yeah. I, I also couldn't find it written anywhere, but he's, he's probably won a couple of them as well. Um, <clears throat> but this news, Devon... Um, do you think it will give Man City a bit of an extra incentive to go on this season and add to those totals and maybe even collect that elusive Champions League title before Aguero moves on? I mean, he did come out and say that he's not leaving City until they win the Champions League and, and maybe he's seen a, a medium that's that's come in and predicted this. But um, we, we, we've... As we spoke about last week with Manchester City's uh, trajectory and how good they are currently, it wouldn't be a surprise that if he was leaving with five Premier League titles, two FA Cups, and a League Cup, um, but uh, and six League Cups. Sorry, uh, <laughs> overall, um, it would be nice. It'd be a fitting end, especially because I feel like if you think he was the guy that made the era of City dominant after that first Premier League title, that moment against QPR, as we've mentioned. Then they went on to be the, what, like a dynasty in the, the next 10 years of his presence. And, and obviously, if they get the Champions League this year, that'll create a new era for somebody to come in. And, and I don't know if we were going to re talk about replacements potentially, but 
that that next person to take the mantle is going to have to step up to a big mark to replace him. I think we should, we certainly should talk about who could come in to replace him. Um, I think the obvious name is a man who we mentioned a couple of weeks back, Erling Haaland. Do you think this departure maybe opens the door for him, Sam? I've seen some suggestions that if City are letting Aguero go, then surely there's a replacement lined up. Could he yeah. be that man? I mean, those are some very big shoes to fill, obviously. He's got the best minutes per goal ratio in Premier League history by some distance as well. I believe it's 183 minutes per goal. Next best is Thierry Henry with 121 or something like that. So that is going to be a well a, a big position to fill for Manchester City, especially. But you know they've had occasions this season where they haven't even played a striker and it has worked with like Sterling or Gundogan, someone like that as the false nine. They've obviously got Gabriel, who's Jesus, is trying to model his game around Aguero's, but whether he's going to be the one to take them forward, I'm not sure. And obviously. Erling Haaland is, you know, one of the most exciting young players in world football, as we've spoken about in previous episodes. And it is sort of written in the stars of the the links that he has with the club with his dad, obviously playing with playing with them. And it seems like the well, the the obvious next step for him, really. Devin, did you have something to add there? I would just say it's a uh, hundred and eight point three. Um, there you go. I didn't know. I didn't know if he, well, if he added the point or not. I was starting to second guess myself when I said that. But um, if you want me to add, I could, you know, with City put, uh, transforming into this centre forward kind of uh, role and this false nine, is that maybe someone like Dybala could come in and play as that centre forward who's, who's probably more accustomed to and, and a fellow Argentine to take the mantle, obviously. But I think if you're Manchester City, you could go out there. And get whoever you want. I think that's the beauty. If you look at the owners, if they want harder, they can get him. If they want Kane, who wants that, they can get him. If they want to change it up or keep the same and go for Dybala, they can get him. Like, no one's off limits when you're Manchester City. And I think that's that's really exciting if you're a fan of them. And also, I think Harry like Kane would go. Go on, Devin. I would just get, obviously with the first striker to do so since Jimmy Greaves getting 28 goals or more. It's something uh, in, in sorry in six seasons, um, someone like Harry Kane, who's consistently scoring, would be able to replace those numbers. Um, and also it'd be a, probably the next step in Harry Kane's, again, something we've touched on in, uh, on the podcast previously, for Kane to go on and get them elusive titles and and uh, and become, obviously, hopefully, the Premier League's all-time uh, top goal scorer. Yeah, the interesting thing with City is that I sort of hinted at it before, but they've sort of fared pretty well without him this season to be fair he's played sort of a bit part role with the with the injuries he's had the problems with his knees and he played 14 games this season and they've sort of adapted their their style to well go strikerless almost in some games and they've still been as dominant if not more so it'll be interesting to see whether Pep reverts back to having a out and out number nine or he sticks with what he's got so far the team's definitely better with a fully fit striker though you look at not last season, the season before when Manchester City won the title. So they didn't have De Bruyne for half of that season, people forget. But they're definitely a better team with him. So for me, I think they've got to go out and, and find someone for, for that long-term strategy. I think it's definitely a worthwhile point in that he's only featured in 14 games this year. So this season has almost been that 
fading out year for him. So I don't think it really come as any surprise that he's on his way out. Um, but Aguero is still only 32 years of age. I think I read something today that Pep had raised some fitness concerns about him, but you can only imagine that it would be concerning when it comes to Man City's levels that they expect. I would imagine that Aguero could still cut it at any other team in a way, um, but it's still unknown as to where he will go next. I know he's been linked to Barcelona before. Um, could you maybe see that being a potential avenue for him, Devon? Or do you think the uh, Lionel Messi, his future, could that kind of dictate whether Aguero could go to somewhere like Barca? Um, again, we keep bringing it, these points we're making previous weeks all intertwined at one point, don't they? And it seems like it's today. Um, I feel like Messi will probably end up staying at Barcelona. I can't see him moving on. Um, for Barcelona, Aguero would be a good fit. However, are they really going to fade someone like Griezmann, who they spent a lot of money on anyway? And and where where does he fit into that forward line? Does does Griezmann move back onto the left like he did at Real Sociedad and and, and parts at Atletico Madrid? Or um, and I also think Barca's remit of trying to get more young players in and fit, you know find that next talent, getting Aguero in is going straight against that. So um, I had a. Maybe, maybe PSG could be somewhere good for for Aguero, um, and and somewhere where obviously in his later years, I think PSG would be able to keep his numbers up and keep him high profile enough to keep him in that Argentina uh, national team. Um, I've also seen a weird link to Chelsea as well. Um, that were apparently they're monitoring his uh, well his situation in previous weeks, and obviously this news might have. Have, have lit up and maybe someone like Tuchel can can bring him in but what does that say on Tammy Abraham's future or the likes of uh, the other forwards at the team uh, the uh, forwards at the club uh, obviously they might want to uh, and for me personally I think Chelsea should focus on making Kai Havertz that that centre uh, centre forward I don't see him staying in the Premier League to be honest I think he's got he's built too much of a bond with Manchester City and the fans there that if he was to move to a club like Chelsea, I'd, I've even seen links to United. Some some papers are saying they've inquired about him, but obviously I don't see that happening. I think a return to Atletico Madrid could be on the cards as well. I think they could do with someone like him. I don't think Diego Costa is going to be there for much longer. They've also got Yao Felix, who could you know learn a lot from a striker like Aguero. I think that would be a, a decent move for him as well. It'd also be absolutely sublime to see Suarez and, and Aguero as a partnership yeah, instead of yeah. being you know that that could be a deadly one obviously probably a few years too late in the, both of their careers but obviously two two of the best one of the best anyway um in the that the Premier League scene in current years anyway that would be very together. interesting to be fair I'd like to see that a lot yeah I think it would be quite a sight especially as we say there, it's probably unlikely that he goes to a Premier League club. But if he went to a European club, there's always the chance he matches up against Manchester City. So maybe that will take place at some point. I think one thing that we would probably all agree on is that when he, when it comes to the end of the season and Aguero does say farewell to Manchester City, let's hope there are some fans in the Etihad there to make it some sort of an occasion rather than a really soulless one. Um, but a bit like when Silver went last year. As well, he never got the yeah. deserved uh, clap off that he deserved. Yeah, I think we can all agree on that. So, Aguero, I think, is 
I saw some suggestions on Twitter. He's one of those players that no matter who you support, everybody likes. Um, the league's so, going to miss him, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree with you, Sam. Um, but yeah, we, we've kind of given our own mini tributes to him there without even realising. So moving on now, um, and we've mentioned the Champions League a fair bit there about how Manchester City would love to win it and everything else. Well, the Champions League has been in the news in recent days uh, because there's an interesting development surrounding the competition, which is, of course, European football's most prestigious um, because a new format for the competition has been proposed. Um, it was due to be voted on this week, but that has been delayed now until April the 19th. Um, this new format is due to take place or is due to come into effect in 2024. Um, we, we're going to try to explain this to our listeners now. Um, just bear with me for a minute because I have to tell you, it's fairly complicated. Um, and it took me a while this morning when I was putting these notes together to just kind of get to grips with it. So I'm going to go through it now. The new format would see the current group phase scrapped and it would be replaced with a 10-match long first phase of the competition. Um, it would also change the number of teams that start in the competition. It, that would change from 32 to 36. That would include two wildcard entries. Um, this is where it gets interesting. The two wildcards, at the moment, they're saying that they would be given to clubs with the highest UEFA coefficient, which essentially means... Um, clubs who had previously experienced European success. Um, so they would get priority even if they hadn't done very well in their domestic league. So, for example, if it was in place at the moment, Liverpool would qualify despite being in seventh place in the Premier League. Um, then the results of the first phase would form an overall league table um, and then it progresses from some point onwards. I've already spoken for too long. I'm already confused. Um, so I apologise if I've lost you listening at home or wherever you're listening. Um, but let's kind of share our thoughts on this proposal. Um, Harry, I know it's kind of hard to summarise after hearing all of that info, but it sounds really confusing, doesn't it? I think it sounds confusing. And I think it's just another way that they, they'll make a nice amount of money, which is the way football's run. So I'm not going to complain, but you know that's how that's how all of this is made on money. But there's so many problems. A, you know, the coefficient side of it. If a team doesn't deserve to get in the Champions League, they shouldn't get in it. And people like Liverpool have had a horrendous season. I know they've had injuries, but that's, go back three podcasts, and I imagine we've talked about Liverpool's injuries somewhere. But they shouldn't be getting in it because they've not deserved it. And then you look at the group stage. That's an extra four games on top, meaning there's more fixtures to be played. That's two. That's basically worth another two knockout stages because, you know, home and away legs. That's two extra sets of those, basically. And when there's six games, there's sort of the feeling of, right, we've got every game is worth points and no one qualifies until about the fifth or sixth game at the absolute most because everything's so tight. By about the sixth or seventh game, there's going to be three remaining. And, you know, Real Madrid have probably qualified from their group and second place is probably qualified as well. And the rest of the games are just absolutely meaningless. So it takes out the meaning. It takes out, you know, if you, if you know that you're, you've got a good history of winning things, the pressure on the league is a lot less if you've not won it. And it's just for me, I just, I just don't like the sound of it whatsoever, personally. Sam, do you uh, agree with Harry on it? Do you think it's, it's the wrong way to go? 
yeah it, it feels unnecessary really i mean it's like the if it's not broke don't fix it and i don't really have a problem with the with the current format obviously the it causes the biggest problems for the english clubs because we obviously have compared to most of the other top leagues in europe we have an extra domestic com- cup competition in the in the league cup so that would be under threat probably because we the champions league would need those extra midweek slots which are usually taken up by the league cup we obviously saw it with this season starting a bit later spurs they had their europa league qualifiers and also the league cup games so they were playing on tuesday and then playing on thursday away somewhere else so it was a huge problem for them Mourinho wasn't happy about it so we could see something if the league cup was to remain and this format was to go through we could see something similar to that and that would obviously be a huge problem for the for the premier league team so it's it does feel a little bit unnecessary i think we've kind of spoken briefly in the past about how the league cup over the years has sort of lost its credibility with so many weakened teams being played in it and everything else so Devon, do you think that this new format, which is, I should say, expected to go through, like it might have been delayed, but it is expected to go through and these changes will take place. Do you think this could be kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back and maybe takes that EFL Cup out? Or do you think the FA will fight very hard to keep it going? I think if you're thinking sensibly, I think, it well, if you're thinking sensibly, you won't change the Champions League at the minute. It's, it's not like everyone's going, oh, this is so boring. Because like we saw with the Porto game and 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 the comebacks we've seen in recent years, it still brings that level of excitement and unpredictability with teams. Um, I feel like if the League Cup did take a hit, I'd absolutely love the FA Cup then to implement right. More teams from non-league are going to be implemented to be able to come into the first round and and really expand the FA Cup and make it more about the teams. Um, well, the magic of the FA Cup, if you want to throw a cliche in there and add, you know, like stories like, sorry, Sam, Lincolns and and teams that are in non-league getting to higher rounds and, and earning that money, especially with the, the complications of the, the pandemic with non-league teams suffering a lot uh, due to no fans and no income. So that would be a good booster for them. But, as we've said, it's all about money. And I think the UEFA are probably going to have the stands st- still, no matter what fans think, they're going to make their decisions. I think the reason, it looks like the reason they're changing it, so it's guaranteed that the biggest clubs in Europe will be in it due to the, obviously, the UEFA coefficient thing they're doing with the with the wildcard slots. They want to make sure that even if, like you say, Liverpool are underperforming in the league this season, even if they did, they would still get into it because of, how they performed in Europe previously. So I think it's, I don't want to accuse them of that, but it, it sort of looks that way, to be honest. But they don't deserve it. Like, who can say this year Liverpool deserve it more than West Ham or something like that? Like, like Liverpool have tailed off and, and, and West Ham have been a success story. Or obviously the hit wouldn't be if West Ham going to Europe, so would Liverpool and West Ham would drop out. But it's just giving the opportunity to, like, I mean, um, Atlanta as well they were fairly unknown and then they came in and really ripped the, the Champions League until they got knocked out last year and we've, and, and if say Juventus had a drop off this year and didn't qualify then why would it make sense to then give them a reprieve 
and really kind of said, well, this hard work doesn't count because still the big teams you're going to be facing. Them. It should be just based on merit and not, oh, well, these these will make us the most money. Yeah, it certainly seems as if the, the big clubs have kind of taken priority on this. Um, but Harry, the smaller clubs, particularly in England, are probably likely to... Um, kick up a bit of a fuss about this. I think notably Steve Parrish, the Crystal Palace chairman, has already voiced his um, discontent towards the idea. If this continues and if it was to get approved in a month's time, would you expect more clubs and more chairmen to be coming out and saying similar? Can That's certainly an expectation, but the people that will complain are more likely going to be the people that don't have a voice that UEFA care about. And I know that's quite an extreme thing to say, but Liverpool are going to be loving this news because it means that if they don't have a great season or any of the top six or top four around the world are going to be loving this news that have won something in the past because it means it's just that parachute, not parachute, that sort of, oh, it doesn't matter too much if we don't do this because it means we'll get in anyway. You know, listening to UEFA, they're not going to care what Crystal Palace, Southampton, West Ham, Newcastle, they're not going to be annoyed. They're not going to listen to them because the, the big boys that make a lot of the money all going to be loving this, so I, I don't think that'll be too much of a too much of a pushback from their point of view, anyway. Because they do they make decisions like this all the time, and that's fair enough. You know, that's a big reason why football is as big as it is because they make decisions like this. But for me, I'm not a big fan. Is do you think this is a bit of compensation for the knockback of the big Super League that was getting talked about? Well, I think they're trying. I wouldn't be surprised. I think they're trying to keep them happy in a way, like I say, with the with them creating those wildcard spots, which ensures some of the more successful clubs in Europe still get in. They're, they're trying to keep them happy so they don't... There's obviously been big fears of the of the big clubs breaking away to form this Super League. And with them obviously scrapping financial fair play as well recently, it seems like they're trying to, trying to keep them on side. And as we've seen in the past, appeasement is not good. And... Overall, I, the word wild card makes me think of frigging X Factor. And, and <laughs> you know, maybe if, if they could, right, okay, we've got one wild card's a big team, but then the next one is just some random, it's it's a draw and, and I don't know, send Norwich just get drawn into the Champions League randomly. That, that would compensate it a little bit, but overall, there's a big no. Maybe, Dev, in the style of X Factor, if they're drawing the final and it gets to the end of extra time, they'll take it to deadlock and let the public decide. Hey? <laughs> <laughs> or either that or, or um, say it's Bayern versus uh, Juventus. They take off Ronaldo and, and, and Lewandowski and Wagner comes on in a, in a kit and, and <laughs> I, I don't know, that Michael guy, that scouser comes on and they play for many minutes. <laughs> Put 01 at the end of the number if you wish to say <laughs> Yeah, you can uh, oh you can kind of gauge just from our little 10-minute discussion on it there. We, we all seem to be in agreement that it's a bizarre idea, but ultimately it's an idea that we probably need to become accustomed to because it's likely to go through. Okay, we're going to move on now to our third segment of this week's podcast, um, and it surrounds the England under-21s because... Um, you might not be aware, England's senior team, of course, played this week their first three World Cup qualifiers, or at the time of recording, they played two of them. They're set to play their third. England under-21s, meanwhile, have been competing in an actual tournament 
um, over the last couple of weeks. That is the under 21 European Championships held in Slovenia and Hungary. Yeah, they've, they've flown out there, even with everything going on with COVID. It seemed bizarre, but there we go. It, it's happening. Um, the, this tournament takes place every two years. And the plan for this year's tournament was for the group stage to be held during this international break and then the knockout stages to take place in the summer. So I think a lot of England fans were pretty hopeful that come the summer, they would have the England senior team in the proper Euros and uh, the under-21s in the knockouts of the under-21 Euros. However, um, it is looking very unlikely that England will be involved in the knockout phases. Um, they have lost their first two games to Switzerland and to Portugal. Um, they also haven't scored a single goal in either game. So at the time of recording, they haven't played the third game and mathematically they're not out yet, but it would require um, quite some turnaround for them to make it through. So we might this might go out and they might have made it through, at which point this discussion might be a bit void. But we think it's definitely worth pointing out because something has clearly gone quite wrong there. Um, England under-21s' current squad is made up of several players who feature regularly in the Premier League. So my question to you, Devon, is how disappointed should we be as England fans that they have come up so short? Well, obviously, as you've uh, said, said there, we have to beat Croatia by two clear goals and hope Portugal defeat Switzerland. However, I, I can't, especially seen as what, They've had one shot on target in the last two games, which is poor considering, if you just give me a second, our attackers, Rian Brewster, who obviously was a star of the under-17s that won the, uh, was, it, was it the World Cup or the Euros? Um, they've, they've also got Callum Hudson, uh, well, Hudson does had to pull out, hasn't they? Um, but they've still got enough firepower, especially in Ketty as well, at that under-21s level to be able to go on and, and as you've said, there's several Premier League starters in there, which is the most frustrating about it. And it all comes down to maybe, well, we can't we can't put all the onus on him, but the manager tends to take the flak, and that's Andy Boothroyd, who is <clears throat> seems completely inept um, after the last two tournaments have shown. Um, and also his background doesn't show that he really warrants the job, um, and especially his, his experience the last two two tournaments show us why there needs to be some kind of clear change. And as one of Sam mentioned just before, and we've read in the article, he's completely slammed his squad saying that it's an impossible job to work, not whether not whether to work with them or just to have success there. But he then went on to say that it's not as important to have success, but let's be honest, you need success on all levels, don't you? These, these youngsters need that winning mentality to go into the, to the England uh, national team level and be able to carry that through. Um, so, obviously, I, 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 you've heard my thoughts. I, I really don't like A.D. Boothroyd, and I think that he shouldn't be trusted with these players, but I'll let someone else talk now while I calm down a bit. Yeah, well, Boothroyd has uh, been in charge of the under-21s for nearly five years, and if England go out like they are probably expected to now, if they go out, that will be the second successive tournament that they have failed to get out of the group stage. So... Harry, do you agree with Devon that Boothroyd's time is probably up and the FA should maybe get rid? Oh, 100%. You know, what um, Devon was saying about what A.D. Boothroyd said is, you know, success maybe not that 
that important and you take it one time one at a time you go success right okay that might not be achieved performances are the performances good no they're not and that's the second that's as long as one of the two things are good you can sort of go do you know what okay if one doesn't work at least we've got the other one success isn't there the performances are poor and the caliber of players that he's got in his squad and he's not making the most out of them combined with the fact that there doesn't seem to be a very very obvious pathway through the under 21s the the national team it's either you get picked for the national team if you don't you just get chucked into the under 23s if you don't get selected and I think there needs to be a change up I think after the first tournament where it was very it's very obvious that we weren't good enough there i think that's you're allowed to take risks and we didn't take a risk because we kept him on and charge and if anything you know we might have been a lot better under someone new but they kept it they kept it stale like they sometimes did with the national team when they gave roy hodgson two tournaments and look at what's happened it's another wasted another wasted tournament and the, the job should be up for grabs sam what sort of impression do you think it gives off when Boothroyd in the position that he's in comes out and says that his job is, I think his words were utterly impossible. Um, like, is that what England fans want to read? No, not really. And it's sort of hard to gauge what he means by that because I'm not sure. And I'm not sure about all the intricacies of it, but I'm not sure how our setup is structured differently to other national teams. It seems like, like most national teams, if if the player's playing well for their club, then they deserve to, well, playing well enough, then they deserve to be picked for the senior squad, no matter their age. And you could say he's sort of done what's expected of him as under-21 manager, and that's to bring players through through the setup. I mean, 14 players who have played in the last two tournaments of the under-21s have gone on to play for the senior side. Obviously, Mason Mount, Phil Foden are the big ones, and they're now regular features for the senior side. But that's because... They deserve to be in the senior side. They're good enough. So I'm not really, you shouldn't really be expecting to be able to pick those players considering how they've been playing. And you shouldn't really be complaining with what he's been left with. Because like you say, there's still plenty of Premier League talent, still plenty of players who are playing regular Premier League football in that team and can do well in a tournament. So it's hard to see what he means by impossible. I mean, there's still plenty of talent in that team. It's quite an insulting comment as well. Looking at, like you said, looking at the level of players you've got. If you look at the San Marino under twenty, under twenty three manager, you could probably say, yeah, that's a fair point because the quality of players isn't there, the budget isn't there, the structure isn't there, the facilities aren't there. So you're not expected to get results. So they even possible challenge. They even have exactly twenty one team. Exactly. Whereas with the England under twenty threes, you've got a ridiculous standard of players. You can play as expansive as you want because of the quality. You've got a fantastic setup at St George's Park. I don't understand those comments personally. I think it is just an excuse, and I think it's a ridiculous one at that. He says, he says winning. He says winning's not important, but it's certainly not a bad thing to be winning with the team, and it sort of instills that winning mentality in this players, which mm. is what we need. It's it's all good to have the talent, but you need to be able to perform and perform well as a team. And they're not doing that very well at the moment. And all these players in the future could be playing in the senior team together and judging by their performances as a team in this tournament, it's not a good sign, really. You can say winning, winning, yes, winning is important. And so, like, overall, the performances are not there to justify that mm. comment, though. If they were playing extremely well and, you don't know, it's hit, it's hit, someone's backside and gone in and they've been unlucky and being knocked out by that odd goal, then fair enough, Ada. But 
I mean, just looking at the other squad from not just this year, because obviously this year's squad is is really good still, in my opinion. There's a lot of first teamers in there, but the, the squad from 2019, Henderson, Gunn, Woodman, three very capable goalkeepers, especially Henderson, who played first team football from Grimsby to Shrewsbury and then two years at Sheffield United. We've got Juan Bissaka, De Silva, uh, Tamori was in there, Lloyd Kelly, Concer, Kieran Dowell, James Madison, Phil Foden, Ryan Sessignon, Chowdhury, Barnes, Mount, Gibbs White. That's the full midfield. And then obviously they had Calvert Lewin and Solanke had been, I think he's got nine goals in 17 games for their, that. And he I couldn't get out of the group stage with them. I don't like, know if you could put Solanke in that bracket. No offence, Dominic. But, but he wasn't. He's good on the national stage. He's averaging a goal every, every other game. Definitely. No, that, Devi, you that won the un, two. That was unnecessary. I apologise. I, I, you won I, the two long tournament. What are you talking about? It's been a yeah, boring I, success. I just, I'm just not Solanke's biggest fan. Um, Devon, you mentioned earlier on how maybe there should have been questions raised when. Boothroyd initially got this job because of his past. I think his last club job before joining the England setup was with Northampton Town, and he was sacked from there with the club sitting bottom of League Two, the EFL. Um, but should it should we maybe be almost questioning how difficult it is to attract more high-profile managers for this England job? Because I know that. A lot of them must enjoy the day-to-day um, coaching at a club, whereas with England under twenty-ones, it's it's a different role, isn't it? You only get so li- you only get a small amount of time with the players at certain points. So, is it maybe a more difficult job than we realise to recruit better managers? That is a fair point. Um, I'm not going to disagree with that at all. I think I, I also wanted to bring up a point that. Um, the comments of that it's utterly impossible is probably the reason why a lot of players nowadays prefer playing club football to and the, the sort of value of playing for your country is being lost and diminished slightly. And I think England's recruitment in the past, obviously Capello from the national team and, and, and even Gareth Southgate now, don't get me wrong, the 2018 World Cup will always reside as one of the best currently anyway, just because of the memories. But Gareth Southgate, in my opinion, is just not not, not good enough, not tactically good enough for us uh, as a, to, to really bring out the best in this team. Um, especially when you're playing, you know, uh, Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice in the same team alongside each other, which I think is completely wrong. But um, it, in my opinion, surely there's, there, there could be a case for bringing through, you know, I'm sure several. Uh, number two was someone like Jody Morris, uh, someone that's willing to really make a name for themselves as a as a permanent manager could see this as a as a kind of stepping stone, um, or even somebody that could develop into Gareth's successor. It's it's I still think it would be quite an attractive proposition for somebody that's a number two wanting to prove the worth rather than getting these obsolete managers that obviously. It, it's not just that at Watford he didn't pull up any trees. Then Colchester and Coventry likewise, but Boothroy did nothing. I remember I think did did uh, Dash shortly come in and replace Boothroy when he were at Watford. But um, overall, it was just <laughs> there needs to be a better process for this because that we 
you have to build these players to be able to know what it means to play for England and and when they do get into that national side, if that that's probably the difference between winning and losing. If these players know what they want to do, they want to win for their country, then it's going to have that positive knock-on effect. Whereas now, if you're going from 21s after being a, a failure for two years and you go into the England national team, you're still going to have that background effect of uh, if we fail, we're going to get you know you know bolstered and and no one's going to have it. Yeah, and you you mentioned there the chain of managers within that England setup and how Southgate made the jump up from the under twenty ones to the England job. Um, but I think it's safe to say at this point that if Boothroy was to make that same switch when Southgate leaves, um, I think there would be a fair bit of uproar. Will he even be um, still in that role with the under twenty ones for much longer? Um, I think it's unlikely. I would be very surprised if he survives this tournament. But then again. Maybe they are happy with what he's doing and progressing the players through. Who knows? But um, it is disappointing for sure to see um, the lack of success at those tournaments that the under-21s are getting. Um, Let's move on now to the quiz. Um, Sam, I'll hand it over to you again. This is round 13, of course, of this second round. Um, If you haven't watched before, then Sam was the winner of the first round. So that's hence why Sam is in charge of this one. But I'll hand it over to you, Sam. Aguero. (laughs) It it had to be this week. I I thought you could have gone with the under-21s, but I think that would be testing our knowledge a bit too far. (laughs) Maybe just a little bit. I mean, it it made sense for it to be Aguero. Aguero it is. This is the way to honour him, formation stance, to do a quiz. (laughs) Sounds good to me. Five questions? Yeah. Okay. When you're ready, uh, take okay. It away. Question number one: Before joining City, Aguero formed a formidable strike partnership at Atletico Madrid with which former Premier League forward? Okay. Before joining City, Next, it could be. It's definitely a 50 50 this one, but my like years, really, is, this, this is about one. four different options that have made that pathway. There's a few, sure, he's got to think, think about the timelines. Yeah, the time, the timelines is a difficult thing actually because now I'm thinking, surely, no, it can't be him. Oh, no, <laughs> made my, I've made my choice, I've made my choice. Go I might Go on, you, you can move on, Sam. I just question number two. Aguero made a lightning start to a city career, coming on as a sub and scoring two goals against which side in his first appearance? I knew the first appearance one was going to be a question. Um, I don't know the answer to it. Can you repeat that again, please? Which side did he score two goals against in his first appearance? He came on as a sub. That was also um also, Gary Neville's first appearance yeah, Monday Night Football, wasn't it? I remember they did a video <laughs> during lockdown, like analysing yeah. it, and that was cringy. You never thought hell. you were going to be interviewed by me, did you? Yeah. <laughs> something, <laughs> something like that. Oh, yeah. I don't know what it was. Oh, dear. Go on, Sam. He's come, come on a long way, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, question number three. Valatelli assisted Aguero for his iconic title-winning goal versus QPR. But who did the Italian receive the ball from? Oh, we've all the seen assist this goal. The assist. 
a million times. It's just whether you can. I can just think of Dada Balotelli. Yeah. I can't think of. Yeah, I think I'm going. I don't even think Tyler commented on the the received pass, did it? No, that's what I think. I just kind of just went. City really need to win it here. That's it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he he only Jesus. picked it up from Balotelli. You're right. <laughs> that's that's why it's a good question, though. Right. Okay. We'll go on the law of averages with this one. Oh, that Atletico question is really. Friendly. Yeah, that's that is a very good question. Oh, but we, it could have been. It could have been. Go on, Sam. But we'll, it could we'll have, have been questions for it. Question number four. Aguero is the highest non-English goal scorer in Premier League history, but where does he place overall in the scoring charts? All-time Premier League. Hmm. Oh, no. Wait, he's the highest, did you say? He's the highest non-English goal scorer. English, yeah, yeah. So it's not going to be... I put a wild number, but I think it's going to be a lot smaller than that, actually. I think it's... Yeah. No, is that too... No, we're going to stick with that. We're going to stick with that. I'm ready for number five. If anyone else is, don't be. Okay, number five. Aguero is part of an exclusive club of players to score five goals in a single Premier League game. How many of the other four players to do so? Can you name? Okay. Got score five goals in a Premier League game. Yes. Okay. In a single game. And there's four. Four answers. Four yeah. Oh my goodness! I think of the big scores. Scored five. Oh, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to name four here. Although I suppose it's worth. I think I've got five. two. <laughs> um, oh dear. I'm going to also reiterate. My spelling is terrible for a journalist or trainee. Um, oh, what's his name? What is his name, Sam? Tell me what his name is. Oh, I've no idea I think, who you're talking about. So. I think these names are going to be more obscure than we than we think. That's my that's my concern. Maybe, here. maybe not. Um, yeah, I don't think the person that I'm going to put down scored that many in the game, but. I just, I can't. <laughs> I've, uh, as soon as we've had a bit of nostalgia in some of these uh, answers, I'm, I've gone for one beautiful individual. Um, I'll just put, an, I'll just put another name. It's not going to be there, but we'll just go with it. Okay. Shall we have our answers? Yeah. Yeah. Number one, before joining City, Aguero formed a formidable strike partnership at Atletico Madrid with which former Premier League forward, Harry? I went Diego Forlan. I was thinking Diego Torres, Forlan. but I went Forlan in the end. George. You see, I've got, I've got Torres, but I, I really don't think it's Torres because... It, he went to Liverpool about 2007 mm. and that just doesn't equate. But I feel like I can picture them in the same... I don't know, I just stuck with Torres. Devon. See, I had Falcao in my head. I had Ooh. Costa in my head. Mm. And I had 
this man Diego Forlan as well because I feel like Forlan was a great show. I feel like because they had a couple of years of just successive absolutely banging strikers, didn't they? It's going to be Forlan. You're right, George. It was Forlan. <laughs> oh, come on, let's go. I was really let's hoping go. Harry would forget and just Torres put Costa. Is... Torres was a bit Sorry, before him and Falcao. Falcao is his replacement. So I was, was going to say, yeah, it's for me. It's and then Costa and Falcao's replacement. Yeah, it and then it's never going to be Torres if Aguero's only thirty-two now. I should have thought more about that. Never mind. Go on, move okay. on. Two Aguero made a lightning start to his City career, coming on as a sub and scoring two goals against which side in his first appearance? George. I'm more confident on this one, much more. I think it's Swansea City. Swansea, Devon. What you got? I just went for, he scored his one of his most iconic goals against him, so I've also gone QPR. I was tempted QPR. to put Southampton, but I think that was the first game before he joined. Harry. I went for a team that conceded a lot of goals. Newcastle. You fold it back, George. It was Swansea. <sighs> so back. Yeah. I, I think, to be honest, I, I think that Gary Neville video gave me a helping hand there, because yeah. if it hadn't been out over lockdown, that's I'm not that's sure. That's how I, I remembered it, yeah. Go on then, what's number okay. three? I'm happy to have levelled it. Number three, Balotelli assisted Aguero for his iconic title-winning goal versus QPR, but who did the Italian receive the ball from, Devon? I'm going to go for the guy who got the equaliser, Edin Dzeko. Edin Dzeko, Harry. You it was between him and another man that does a lot of passes, David Silva. David Silva. So, but I'm scared. I'm scared it's Jackie. I think it, it's a man who's going to be alongside Aguero on a statue, but I didn't go with Silva. I went with Vincent. I Cons- had company in my head. I'm sure someone won a flick on, and I've, I, I mean, think I'm it really was. excited to know this was, though. Gail I've, caught, I've caught you all out. It was a one two. It was Aguero who passed it to Valatelli. <laughs> oh, he's done well. Uh, he's done very well. It, it, it was, though. Now you've That's said a smart it. Smart question. I can see oh. him. I can see him angling his run now around him. Oh, <laughs> oh you, you have done us there. It's I didn't even question. think could it be Aguero. So fair play. <laughs> Go on, Sam. What, what's number four? Aguero is the highest non-English goal scorer in Premier League history. But where does he place overall in the scoring charts, George? I think it's fourth. It's going to be fourth, Devon. I also thought it was fourth, so I wrote down six. <laughs> right. <laughs> Harry? It was between third and fourth, and I always normally get the wrong 50-50 oh, on no. third. <laughs> yeah, it was fourth. Yeah, great. Yes. <laughs> I'm very confused by your logic there, Devin. <laughs> because so, when, right, whenever I think it is, it's always like plus two or minus two, so I went for minus yeah, but you went minus. Can, we, can I not just? Can we not just edit that slightly and just get some point? I mean, George so goes just... ahead. The final oh, question: Aguero's five and exclusive club of players to score five goals in a single Premier League game. How many of the other four players can you name? Harry, you first. So Berbatov, uh, Lampard, Suarez. Those are the four. I think I've got two. Berbatov, Lampard, Suarez. Berbatov, Lampard, Suarez. Devon. 
I'm hoping that Andy Booth in one because he's just popped in my head now. But I've got Jermaine Defoe, Dimitar Berbatov, Alan Shearer for his five against Wednesday, I think. And I didn't even more importantly, Yakubu. Yakubu. Oh, let's throw that one into the ring. What an out. I call uh, it. Yeah, By that reaction, even... Sam, I know it's wrong already. <laughs> Five four yeah. uh, Defoe. I've got Defoe. Luis Suarez, although I, I don't think he did it against Norwich. He definitely had no. four against us. I don't think he had five. Um, Thierry Henry and then Andy Cole as well. Andy Cole. So the answers were Dimitar Berbatov, Alan yeah. Shearer, yeah. Jermaine Defoe. Oh. And Andy Cole. Oh, yeah, oh. I'm happy about the Cole one. I'll take three. So, Devin's got three, George two, yeah. Harry two. I'm surprised Yakubu wasn't on there, obviously. Yakubu. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you must have just written that one just to have a fourth one, mustn't you? Surely you didn't. I, I, I feel like Yakubu did score four in one game and they took him off. So he won it last game of the season, Rednar took him off and he. Then they have a bet or something, or having um, to score twenty goals in Gian Ten Grand, and he oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I heard that story as well. He got yeah. like nineteen goals that year, and he subbed him off just before he scored. Well, I I have to say I didn't think um, Yakubu would get a mention on this week's podcast, but there we go. <laughs> or um, podcast, but... Sam, I, I think that was already That's what makes this podcast is these niche names. <laughs> Um, Sam, I think that was fairly fairly tight in terms of scoring. You and Devon got four, Harry got three. Okay. So I just keep falling. Seeing as last, last week, George started, we said, oh, um, I'll, I'll tell us where you can find our links while Sam tallies up the scores. George did the links and then ended the podcast. So can we have a stand-in, please, Sam? Well, it's good, it's... George. It's good reading. It's good reading for George. I mean, he's got he's got forty-seven. You've got forty, Devon. Harry's got thirty-six. So. You know what, Devon? Thank you for asking Sam to give us those. I'm really I'm really glad. If you want if you want to give George an ego boost, there you go. <laughs> I have to say that I think for the rest of the day I'm going to be ruining that Fernando Torres answer. Um, I, I really thought <laughs> for Lamb, but never mind. Um, I'm so glad but- I didn't put Falcao. I was so close to doing it. That is all we've got time for um, on this week's episode. Thank you very much for watching. Um, I think I'm definitely looking forward to this weekend when I can start to think about fantasy football every day and every hour and every day again. That's probably not good. We've had a little break. Um, But um, the code, if you want to join our league, is, as always, in the description. But follow us on Twitter at the underscore formation. Let us know as well if you have noticed through that quiz, especially Sam's audio. I know from where I'm sitting here through these earphones, it's been coming through very nicely. But let us know your thoughts on that. Um, And we will see you next week for episode number 30. See you then.